Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There was an idea. The Avengers initiative. I'm going to do this all day. I'm a superhero. I've come to bargain. I love you three thousand. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. You should have gone for the head. And I... Wakanda forever! Why is Gamora? Iron Man. We are good. Avengers! Assemble. Hello and welcome to Marvel Standup, where we bring you all the goings-on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and beyond. Now, this is odd, isn't it? I'm your host today, Den of Geek TV editor Alec Bojalid. Took me three years, but I finally ascended to host. But I am not alone. Joining me is brilliant pop culture writer Joe George. Today's episode is powered by our friends at eBay. More on them a little bit later. Be sure to check them out for all of your Marvel-related collectible needs. Today we're looking back at all the MCU gave us in 2023, as well as what we can expect in 2024. And I think first, Joe, we should talk about just uh, the year that was overall. How, how are your impressions on Marvel and the Marvel Cinematic Universe in 2023? I think this is the year of change for uh, the MCU. This is definitely the year that we saw their dominant slip. Um, which is, I think, overall a good thing uh, because they had definitely lowered the standards, even though I and, and I think you uh, are as well more up on a lot of the entries that aren't Secret Invasion this past year. The rest of the world has cooled on Marvel quite a bit. And <laughs> given the news of Jonathan Majors getting dropped <laughs> yesterday after his conviction, it's pretty clear that 2023 is is a uh, uh, Kevin Feige needs to step back, take a big breath, and change the course somehow. Yeah, let, letting everybody peek behind the curtain a little bit. We are filming this at a very uh, opportune time. <laughs> yesterday <laughs> was the, the day that news dropped that there will be no more Jonathan Majors. He's gone. It's funny, like being so plugged in connected with this stuff because as you mentioned joe watching these things every single one of them year after year like i have not noticed a huge drop off in quality if anything i think a lot of like the titles this year are pretty good like perfectly fine at least but it it just been fun to not fun it's been interesting to watch from afar as like the rest of the world non-marvel diehards just kind of hit their wall all at the same time yeah what do you think that was? I mean, because you and I were both pretty positive on Ant-Man. That was definitely the one where people really turned on it. Why poor Ant-Man? Did he get stomped on? I don't know. That's a great question. And actually, we might as well just get started with the full year recap because it does get started with Ant-Man. So February 17th, 
2023 Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was uh, the first official Marvel dispatch from this year. And as you said, we both liked it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, I still do. I rewatched it fairly recently and was like, this is okay. I mean, (laughs) I'm not going to go nuts, but this is okay. I don't understand what people are so upset about. It, it, it's funny because that's like Ant-Man is uh, Quantum Mania is the one where like there was the first canary in the coal mine for um, uh, just kind of the franchise's overall health. And it was just, you know, the garden variety Rotten Tomatoes score. It just cratered for Quantum Mania for some reason when but I, I think it just comes down to some weird sociological impulse of just like when people are done they're done and they were probably <laughs> done after endgame and then things lingered on for a bit and ant-man entertaining as it was was seemed somewhat imperfect i guess um and people just couldn't do it anymore but like you said it wasn't any more imperfect than than the majority of the past couple of entries in in marvel like i personally i'd rank it above uh Spider-Man No Way Home, which I know that has different things going on, but that movie's a mess and people went nuts for that one. Is that the problem? Is that there was no nostalgia for Ant-Man to pull back? I mean, I couldn't tell you. I get. I think maybe it has something to do with the fact that like post-Endgame, Scott Lang's arc felt finished to people, or at least felt finished to people who were not watching particularly closely or as closely as we were. Yeah. And Ant-Man, just as a movie, it does have some of those standard Marvel, like, green screen shot out. And I said green scream. That'd be like a good superhero name. <laughs> the green scream. <laughs> Copyright uh, that now. This is send it to Kevin. Yeah, You're turning it around. Next week's Marvel standum, I have to go to the copyright office. No, it has like like those shot on volume problems where, like, there's like nobody's ever interacting with anybody else, actually. It's all yeah. make-believe. So it, it, it does look kind of lifeless at times, but I don't know. Like we could play armchair psychologist all we want, but I, I think it just comes down to when the general public is done with something, they're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that there's any any magical elixir that Peyton Reed could have put into that movie to, to have made <laughs> it really pan out. Yeah, it's too bad, too. I like Peyton Reed's other stuff, and I hate for him to be dinged with that. It's not his fault. Not only have I not gone back and rewatched Ant-Man Quantumania, I've not rewatched our episode of it, the Marvel standum, <laughs> but my recollections of that episode is it has to be such a cursed document now because like, it's just, it's a Jonathan Majors party. <laughs> like, yeah. I remember, yeah. And, and not like, you know, this doesn't retroactively make his performance bad, but I remember saying in that like, Kang is essentially going to be the main character of everything to come in Marvel in the same way that like Iron Man or Captain America was. Yes. I said that in casting Kang, <laughs> um, Kevin Feige was looking for an actor to grow old with. Like he was like <laughs> this actor and this character was going to be just completely inextricable from Marvel cinematic universe for the rest of time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it didn't really pan out. Did it? No, it didn't. I mean, not, not Feige's fault and not the fault of anything of the performance. I still find him to be an effective actor. It's just, he turns out he's a horrible human being. And <laughs> and maybe Kevin will be growing old with Jonathan Majors <laughs> in, in some way, but not the way he hoped. 
<laughs> he's growing old with Jonathan Majors in the sense that like he's aged 50 years in the past. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I have seen uh, some commentators online post um, images of Modoc out of context and say like, you know, this is where it all went wrong for the MCU. Yeah. I like that Modoc. I love that Modoc. I hear what they're saying. But it's supposed to be weird and unsettling. Yeah. How do you make a giant head anything else? And and I do appreciate the way they leaned into how icky it felt. And so, no, that's absurd. I you can dislike so many things in in Quantum Mania, and that's your taste and whatever. But to act like I don't know. Maybe Marvel doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt, but I don't think you can act like that was a mistake. I feel like it was an intentional use of bad CG to make the character look weird. No, I loved it. I still love it. Completely agree. Like I, he never gets less like uncanny Valley and uncomfortable, like uncomfortable. It it is bizarre and upsetting every time. And I I think it works for that. (laughs) Absolutely. It's funny. Okay, let's move on to the second film, Joe, because we're not even into the Disney Plus offerings yet. I'm going strictly chronological. Okay, okay. We're we're reliving our year. Um, And the (laughs) next thing we did this year was not May the 4th, but on May the 5th, one-upping May the 4th, we had Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Tell me how you feel about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Great movie. One of my, it's in the top 25 for me of the year, top 20 of superhero movies all time for me. It's a perfect send off to those characters. It's a bad omen for Marvel that one of the best things that they've done is by a guy who has more, had more than one foot out of the door while he was doing it uh, <laughs> to go off to the, uh, uh, to the distinguished competition. I thought it was great. And I know this is not the year to heap praise upon this man, but Chris Pratt's really good in it. Gives a good performance. His voice and everything. No, I loved it. I did too. You know what? I I can't like pinpoint a ton of things that like stick out for me in hindsight, like um, particular moments, but they are there. They've just not like stuck in my head that much. I, I think in hindsight, maybe Guardians of the Galaxy 3 might actually end up being my least favorite of the trilogy. Okay. Um. And I might just go in reverse order, honestly. One, two, three. Or I guess literal order. One, two, three. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great movie. I, mm-hmm. I loved it. It was a blast in the theater. And like, I think we really, in our Marvel stand-up episode, I think we kind of just like nailed everything. We killed it. There's, you know, the, the delightful animals. Yes. Uh, the perfect ending. The perfect villain. Uh, yes. He's awesome. He is so wonderful. I love an over-the-top, purely evil villain that just leans right into it. No shades of gray. And and uh, uh, Chuck Woody and Juji just, you know, went all the way. He was big and Shakespearean and wonderful. They need more villains like that. And, and something that I think James Gunn is really good at understanding is that, um, like... You should really disfigure your villain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they—he like, yeah. really messed that guy up. <laughs> they do, and I appreciated how nasty this movie was. Yeah, um, in a way that that never felt like I like the Suicide Squad quite a bit. To talk about DC, but that movie's mean in a way that this one kind of wasn't. You know, it kind of kept its 
its tone even while getting kind of grossed out. Now, it wasn't a, a real joy to watch it in the theater with my six-year-old, but by that point, I had already seen it once, and this was kind of a babysitting kerfuffle <laughs> that led to that. So there was a lot of me like, okay, you know, holding him like, you can't watch this part. <laughs> but uh, as a, you know, as a mature adult who enjoys superheroes, I appreciated the gore. Also, one of my random things from this year that I really like um, that this is a movie that had Marvel's first F-bomb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is funny because they made such a modestly big deal of it. And the scene is literally just <laughs> just frustrated that they can't figure out the door of a car. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I like that. I, was a big I, fan. I knew it was coming and I laughed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, before we continue... We've got a quick message on behalf of the sponsor of this episode, eBay. eBay is the premier destination for collecting comics both old and new. Whether it's that highly sought after iconic comic or an obscure niche that speaks directly to you, odds are you'll certainly find it on eBay. Here's a list of comics that are must-haves for any fan of Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man 648. Most creatives only stay on a particular comic for a few years before moving on, but Dan Slott's run on The Amazing Spider-Man lasted over 10 years. During that time, Slott made decisions that equally thrilled and infuriated longtime fans. It all began with 2010's Amazing Spider-Man 648, a relatively low-stakes tale that gave no indication of the major status quo changes later to come. The oversized issue touches nearly every aspect of Spider-Man's life, from the Avengers and the Fantastic Four to Aunt May and J. Jonah Jameson. But even at that early point, Slot demonstrates that he has a firm handle on Spidey's voice. Amazing Spider-Man 50 Spider-Man No More If you know anything about comic books, you probably know the cover to Amazing Spider-Man 50. That's the one with a plain-clothed Peter Parker walking away from a garbage can with his Spidey suit draped over the side. What you may not know is that Amazing Spider-Man 50 is a really good Spider-Man story. It's got everything you'd want from a classic Spidey tale, including a sick Aunt May, a grouchy J. Jonah Jameson, and Peter trying to balance it all. So influential is Amazing Spider-Man 50 that it has been referenced in nearly every Spidey adaptation in other media, including Spider-Man 2. Amazing Spider-Man 121 So many comic books promise to change everything, but few have actually done it. At least not like Amazing Spider-Man 121. That's the story in which Peter's girlfriend Gwen Stacy dies in a battle between Spider-Man and Green Goblin. Even as stories such as Into the Spider-Verse have developed Gwen into an interesting character in her own right, the night Gwen Stacy died remains one of the most powerful comics of all time. The story works because it underscores the key appeal of Spider-Man, a guy who does his best and constantly fails, even at what seems to be his highest point, seemingly saving Gwen from the Goblin's attack. Everything comes crashing down on Spider-Man, and yet he keeps on fighting. Amazing Spider-Man 252 Spider-Man has one of the most iconic costumes of all time. The Jack Kirby design is pop art perfection, one that takes full advantage of the four-color process used by comic book printers in the 60s. And yet Marvel made the daring decision to give Spider-Man a costume that strips away his primary colors and replaces them with stark black and white. 
Most comic book fans know that that black costume came from the Secret Wars crossover and launched an ongoing saga that birthed the popular bad guy Venom. But Amazing Spider-Man 252 has no interest in those larger stakes. Instead, it's a meat and potatoes Spider-Man story about Peter Parker enjoying a pizza and fighting crime, albeit in a new sleek costume. Start or expand your Marvel collection today at ebay.com. And now back to the show. And we're back. So moving on, and we actually get to finally dip into the TV side of things on this. Again, we're going strictly chronological order. No tricks here. So June 21st was Secret Invasion. Joe, why don't you sum up your thoughts and I assume our thoughts on Secret Invasion? Total garbage. Irredeemable garbage. Just the worst thing Marvel has ever done made all the worse by killing off characters I like for no apparent no overall benefit wasting Amelia Clark in a role that she should just not have been given I hated it and and we're I know I'm gonna shoot ahead here a little bit I love the way that the Marvels just pretends that never happened um for those that didn't watch Secret Invasion you know I was talking to some people they're like and I didn't watch Secret Invasion, so I don't know why Nick Fury was in space. I'm like, well, that's not going to help you at all because <laughs> it's just it's a big cul-de-sac where we end up in the same place that we began, except things suck and are worse because Ben Mendelsohn is out and Colby Smulders is out. Oh, man, it was bad. Like, it was just just punishingly boring. Yeah. Um, when people talk about the the death of the MCU – or maybe death is strong, but this current down down era of the MCU. I wonder how much they're just thinking about the TV output. Um, because aside from, you know, some big hits like WandaVision, Loki, Hawkeye here or there, um, the TV stuff is awful more, more often than not. And you're right, this might be um, the worst one. The competitors for me, and I suspect the competitors for you, for most of us here at Marvel Standom, <laughs> this is Mildred. <laughs> you got to name the cat. What's the cat's name? Mildred. Mildred? Yeah. Okay. What's Mildred's thoughts on these? Oh, she hates it, man. Okay. She won't shut up about it. Like, yeah, it's all I hear about all day is secret invasion and like <laughs> Amelia Clark's powers shouldn't work like that. And like, <laughs> oh, in between meows. Yeah, it's so bad, but like Secret Invasion, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I know you're a little softer on than I am, mm -hmm. uh, Moon Knight. This stuff, it doesn't understand the MCU, how it works. It doesn't understand how television works. It's just, they're all just three-hour bloated stories with mm -hmm. very little import whatsoever. And like seemingly don't understand their responsibility to even like entertain people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Suffice to say, I was not a fan of Secret Invasion. We could just spend the rest of this episode doing a running list of things we don't like about Secret Invasion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> AI is... credits. Oh, that's right. Somehow that's not even the worst thing. And it's not just that they're AI and I hate AI and to hear disney marvel try to spin that as if it was some sort of thematic choice other than 
They want to replace all creatives with robots they don't have to pay. It also promised something that was never really in the episode. I mean, I bet if we counted how many times greenskin aliens, actual greenskin aliens, not just dudes in schlubby clothes, are on screen, it's probably like 30 minutes. I mean, what is that? Uh, You're getting me all worked up again for a show that doesn't deserve this much attention. It's just, it's funny when you talk about what the Marvel TV shows ended up being. Do you remember watching those first couple screeners of WandaVision and being like, this This is brilliant. It's playing with the form. It's doing all of these, like it understands that it's a TV show and it's playing with the TV show. This is going to be great. And it's just such a bummer with how that turned out. I know. One of the I don't know how much it would have mattered in the end, but one of the one of the somewhat interesting sliding doors scenarios for Marvel is what if there's no pandemic and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier launches first as it was intended to? Yeah. Um, WandaVision going first was such a strong start that it is kind of cast into like stark relief how bad most of the other stuff has been. That is so true. If they would have lowered our expectations right at the beginning. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I would have been all in on it because I love all of the problems with that show bounce right off of me. You're probably right. Everybody else would have would have been into it. All right. Let's regretfully move on from yes. uh, Secret Invasion because, again, I really just want to harp on it more. There's so much stuff <laughs> it's, I can talk about. It's so, it's so much. Um, And then we'll count this one. This is a little treat for us. Werewolf by Night in color. What do you remember about that, Joe? It's great. It's still great. I mean, the black and white one is slightly better. The, that and the Guardian special are going to be yearly viewing for me, and I'm going to go with the black and white one from here on out. But it's still great. The story is fantastic. I love Man-Thing. I love uh, Jack Russell and his his banter with uh, uh, Elsa Bloodstone. So one of the, the ongoing knocks against the MCU is that everybody speaks in weed and speak. And that doesn't bother me as much. I am just praising bad men this episode. I like the way that Joss Whedon writes. I like the way he writes. And so that never bothers me as much as it bothers other people. But man, um, uh, Gail Garcia Bernal and Laura Donnelly, just they know how to pop that dialogue in a way that feels never forced. Like her flintiness and his just sweetness uh, work so well together. I love that. And and the color doesn't add much for me, but it it I do love it as a reason for get people to watch it that didn't watch it the first time around because it's it's really fantastic. I agree, particularly on that that last front that you mentioned. Um, one of the frustrating things about Marvel in its latter years or maybe not latter years, but we'll see, is that it feels like a lot of this stuff just kind of comes and goes with little care as to how it's going to live on after that. Um, It was nice to see them actually go back a year later and, like, reinvest the time in something. Like, we had a big debate trying to figure out whether they filmed this that way originally, like, in Technicolor and black and white. Um, So I don't know how much additional work went in a year later, but it still, you know, requires a bit of capital and work to to re-promote that thing. Um, So it was a nice... It was nice to see them just not let something rot on its on their servers. Um, 
recognize that they had something good and, mm-hmm. and try and capture it like a fresh audience with it a year later. Um, yeah. As we try and diagnose what's wrong with the MCU, I think one of them is that things is the assembly line nature that things kind of come and go. Mm-hmm. Werewolf by Night is one of the good examples in 2023 that like when you just add a little bit of extra TLC to something, remember it exists <laughs> at the the bare minimum. Um, it could pay off in nice, fun ways. I mean, this is something that you would know as the TV editor, but this this is the problem with streaming in general, right? Is that all of these dumb channels are pumping out so much stuff that even the good stuff just floats away. Yeah. You, you hear in interviews now, um, I can't remember who said it, but I remember reading from a writer or an actor on a streaming show, streaming, streaming show, streaming show, um, they say like it's hard to communicate just how like bizarre and maddening it is to to work for eight months on something like seventy hour like <laughs> seventy hour work days somehow just put your heart and soul blood sweat and tears live this thing and it's the only thing you live and care about for nearly a year and then like ten episodes drop on a Tuesday yeah and, like it just gone by Thursday <laughs> oh how soul crushing. It is, yeah. The, the streaming era, like, some of it works. Some of you know, like, we have been blessed in some ways from it, like a big event series like Stranger Things or what have you. But sure. I feel like most TV shows and most content in general is not really well served by our streaming era. Is that the smoking gun with all of this? Did streaming kill the MCU? We all know the biggest reason. I think the biggest reason is that they named the biggest movie of all time Endgame. And then kept yeah. Going. I think that's reason number one A. Reason number one B might be the the the, the temporality of the streaming era. I'm always going to cast my vote for the end game scenario because as a casual viewer, like why would you go continue to go to the movies after Endgame? Yeah, it's, done. it's wrapped up. I pushed against that line of argument at the time, but I think you're right in the long run that that really just provided a jumping off point. All right, well let's move on from werewolves. And October 5th, Loki Season 2 premiered. How did you feel about Loki Season 2? Loved it. Loved it. Bummed that so many people that would have loved it didn't watch it or didn't have patience. Those those first couple episodes, I, I will grant, will be rough, kind of rough if you're already going into it with a chip on your shoulder, which I think some some casual viewers were. Like that was their last straw with Marvel, that they loved them, some Tom Hiddleston. And they're going to give that a shot, and they just had no patience for it. But I think those who sat through sat through it. That sounds those <laughs> who stuck through the the and gave it the shot really were paid off with a wonderful uh, goodbye to this character and just some fantastic moments. And also Jonathan Majors. I'm not going to say anything <laughs> else about his acting in this one. He's there again, <laughs> popping up. <laughs> No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, it did get off to a slightly slow start. Um, My frustrations in the beginning came down to the the, the sci-fi rules made very little sense to me. Like, it it took a while to to wrap my head around that in a way in which it didn't in Loki Season 1. Like, Loki Season 1 felt a lot more uh, logical. The show that the end of Loki Season 1 sets up doesn't quite arrive in Loki Season 2. Like, I didn't really understand why he was time-skipping at the beginning like i thought we were just uh lost in one particular time whatever kind of quibbles in the end because the the back half of loki season two is remarkable it is 
excellent. I would put it uh, up there with any of the Marvel TV uh, outings thus far, particularly that last half. It's so good. Emotionally resonant, fast moving, and with like one of the rarest things in all of the MCU, an ending. Like an actual honest-to-goodness ending that is satisfying, logical, and interesting for one of their most iconic characters. Yeah. Wonderfully tragic. It was it, a full a full character arc from where we saw maybe not so much as he sh- first shows up in the original Thor, but certainly from Avengers on out. I mean, the way that they just keyed into the whole glorious purpose thing um, and, and bringing that all around again was just it's not just unusual in the MCU. That's unusual in superhero storytelling, period. For a character, I mean, first of all, for an end. That's why these Dark Knight Returns, you know, dark future uh, sort of stories are so popular because they allow us to see an ending, and there's a, there's something satisfying with that. Also, just the, the the way that the superhero sausage is made, where you have so many different creatives working on a single character, it is so rare to get a satisfying arc uh, 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 after so many you know so many years so many mini stories and yet somehow they pulled it off with loki season two um and and we it's not just that that's great and worth watching i also think that marvel needs to take a page out of and and they are uh uh aaron moorhead and just justin benson and aaron moorhead are going to go on and do more stuff with them but i just thought that they were brilliant the way that they used the not always great cgi to to great effect. I mean, that spaghetti effect that happens to characters really is good. unsettling every single time. And not because it looks realistic because it looks so uncanny. This is, this is the same thing as the Modoc thing. It's just a different effect and they need to do that. If they're going to keep under pain and overworking their <laughs> VFX artists, which they shouldn't, but we are talking about Disney. Two thumbs up. Loki mm-hmm. great. Yep. No yep. If you haven't watched this, watched it, and you're watching this, go watch it. It's wonderful. Let's move on to something that may or may not be wonderful. I honestly don't remember where we fall on <laughs> where you fall on it. Uh, the penultimate Marvel offering of this year is the feature film, The Marvels, which came out on November 10th. How did you feel about The Marvels? I love Kamala Khan, and therefore I enjoyed The Marvels. Yeah. <laughs> That's honestly, yeah. I think it's fair to say that I also enjoyed the Marvels. Um, so as long as we're we've been talking about this undercurrent of the health of the MCU this whole time, we might as well dip back into that here for the Marvels because um, the Marvels is inarguably the biggest box office disaster of the Marvel Cinematic Universe thus far. Mm-hmm. That, that's not unfair, right? No, like, I think that's accurate. I have 83 million domestic and 202 million worldwide films tank. It happens. Um, and I would argue it actually happens more often than not. But because of the fact that this is Marvel, it doesn't happen to Marvel. And it finally did here. Like the crack that started at the beginning of the year with Quantumania, finally, the dam finally bursts at the end of the year. With yeah. The and again, it doesn't deserve it. Marvel, I don't think Marvel's deserves all that hate. I think you'll have a really great time with it, but I agree. And maybe it's because being as plugged in as we are by the nature of our Marvel fandom, like we know how much worse it could get because we've seen secret invasion. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
a joyless <laughs> slog. Maybe Thor The Dark World, but I'm not sure that there has been a two-hour Marvel movie that I would call a joyless slog. Oh, did you not watch Eternals? okay Eternals wasn't great but there's joy to be had in Eternals if you're looking hard enough I suppose (laughs) um I have a hard time just imagining somebody leaving like a 90 to 130 minute Marvel movie feeling like bummed out like Marvel's is fine um yeah as you said, Kamala Khan is excellent. Miss Marvel was another rare bright spot on TV, at least for half of its running time. Mm-hmm. She's great. I like Monica Rambeau more than I thought I, I would. Too. Coming off WandaVision, um, and I'm just I'm a big Brie Larson Miss uh, Captain Marvel fan. Yeah, um, I think when the movie focuses on those three, just interacting, it, it, it moves and it's interesting. I don't think it's a disaster. It's a decent no. movie. And this has been my. My my M- working MC- MCU theory is that the real MCU are the friends we made along the way. That <laughs> really we come to these movies to watch likable, fun people interact more than anything else. Um, and I think the Marvels, either people just didn't go see it or those who did see it, that's not enough for them anymore. Because there's plenty of likable, charismatic actors doing fun things together. And that's the best part of it. Like anything else is okay to bad in the Marvels. Like the, we talked about this on the episode, that plot makes no sense whatsoever. The emotional scenes are not earned and are distractions. I kind of stick up for the CG um, in a, it feels like a higher res version of like a 70s Doctor Who episode. But I, I th- that's not working for most people. But the thing that is there is the fun interactions. I mean, I keep going back to the, the the jumping rope scene is a delight or the musical scene is so much fun. And I guess for most people, that's that's not enough anymore. And that might be, according to my equation, the the real problem with the MCU is they can't they can't skate by on that stuff anymore. And for somebody who's going to the MCU, to any given MCU movie, to just see what the post credit scene is, man, the Marvels has nothing for you. <laughs> oh, it's so misjudged in every single way. Can we talk about that for a second? Can I rant Please. about that for a second? Okay, so first of all, it used to be cool to when they would do a comic book deep dive like Binary, who... It was one of Carol Danvers' many identities that she took um, before becoming Captain Marvel, and it's tied into the X-Men, and Binary is closer to what Captain Marvel is now in the movies. Like, she's extremely powerful, but she's only really around for, like, 10 years in the 80s, maybe early 90s. I, I can't remember exactly when. So it used to be, like, that sort of deep dive stuff was cool because even the people who didn't know who that was were like, oh, what's that? What's that? And it falls flat. The other thing is the X-Men thing, which people, I would say, by and large, recognize Kelsey Grammer as the beast. And by and large, even if they can't, you know, uh, parse it, know, oh, that's like the X-Men movies that we saw before. He's in the mansion. That's something. Except that, again, that's the beast from the cartoon series, which... I don't know how it bothers so many people, but I do think there's this kind of budding up of, oh, 
it's the X-Men, but not really the X-Men the way that the, the average person understands them. And also, how many times are you going to wink at the X-Men? Like that winking doesn't have power anymore. And so instead of – it has the exact opposite effect of the best post-credit sequences where audiences walk out of it confused and unenthused as opposed to intrigued and excited what happened before. It's it's such a miscalculation. I hate it so much. Yeah, I was similarly unenthused. Um, yeah, just like Kevin Feige being like, you know what the kids like? Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> <laughs> and – Okay, here goes. He's really good at voicing Beast. I don't like his personality or his politics in particular, but Kelsey Grammer can voice Beast. Well, we're not technically done with 2023 yet because there is also Marvel's What If Season 2 to go. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, that comes out three days from now, and uh -huh. we have not seen screeners because those come out two days from now. So I feel... Maybe uh, I like the idea of Marvel of the Marvels being the the real closer for 2023 yeah. <laughs> because it's kind of the most fitting uh, fitting movie to describe where the MCU is at currently. But yeah. do you have anything you're looking forward to for What If season two? I've not even really followed it that closely. I mean, What If the TV show is just like the comic for me, where I'll I'll peruse it, and sometimes there'll be something really intriguing, and sometimes there'll be something really dumb. Um, I was re recently watching American Fiction, the movie that stars Jeffrey Wright, and it's it's a really great movie. You should watch it. But also hit that voice. Man, that guy's got a voice. And so I like him as the watcher. And it struck me that I'm like, oh, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing his uh, his smooth tones as the watcher and what if. But outside of that, no, I hope it's good. But I don't have anything particular and I won't be devastated if it's not good because those are always hit and miss. Fair enough. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it over the holiday season. Um, so before I move on to next year, what was your favorite Marvel thing from this year? If we're talking Marvel writ large, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, uh, if we're talking MCU, then Guardians, um, I think Guardians 3 edges out Loki for me by a little bit, and then Kamala Khan just in general under that. That would be my ranking. I'll take Loki just for the, the TV bias. Yeah. I think Loki is my favorite. And it looks like we're actually out of time. Uh, therefore, we're going to split this episode into two parts. So tune in next time where Joe and I will continue this conversation and discuss all the upcoming 2024 Marvel releases, at least the ones we know. Thank you for watching Marvel Standom. Be sure to check out the web home of denofgeek.com for all your Marvel coverage. Follow us at Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Den of Geek. Twitter at Den of Geek US and Twitch and TikTok at Den of Geek TV. Thanks once again to our sponsor, eBay, and thank you all for joining us today. This has been Marvel Standom on the Den of Geek Network. Until next time, be good to each other and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Marvel Standom, produced by Andrew Halley, Kirsten Howard, and Joe George. Hosted by Kirsten Howard. Editing and graphics by Andrew Halley. Social media coordinator, Lee Parham. Additional artwork by Chloe Lewis. Production assistant, Michael R. Music licensed from soundstripe.com. Marvel Standom is a production of the Den of Geek Network. For more information, visit denofgeek.com.